Well, good evening. Has anyone been watching the London Marathon today? Anyone know anybody that ran in it? Oh, good. Yeah, a few hands up there. Anyone in here has, having run a, the London Marathon before? Oh, Tim, my husband. Uh, I just had a... F- <laughs> what is that? Set up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a good effort. I think I was more exhausted by the end of our trip to the London Marathon a few years ago, running around on the tubes, trying to get to all the different places to cheer him on than he was. Uh, I just had a message from a f- friend literally five minutes ago who's been trying to run it for seven years, and she's finally managed it, and she's made it over the finish line. So well done to all those amazing, amazing... Don't you think the people that run it and train... And, you know, for these incredible causes, some of whom have really been, you know, doing it against the odds. Amazing bunch of people. Okay, so, a little starter for 10 this evening. There was a great quiz in the armory on, uh, was it Friday evening? You had a good time, didn't you? Had the questions going. So here's a question for you. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tyre? I'm not going to get you to put your hands up, but would you say it's more steering wheel or more spare tyre? Is prayer something that you turn to when you're in difficulty or you're in trouble or uh, you need a favour from God, you want a helping hand, or is it something that is a bit of a regular pattern uh, in your life? Is your prayer life flagging? Have you lost energy or motivation or um, kind of confidence even in prayer? Have you lost your way in your prayer life or are you kind of going great guns? You know, you really feel, yeah, I'm in a really good place with God and, you know, I'm praying in the way that I want to. I imagine that there will be a whole bunch of us kind of that straddles the spectrum of, yeah, I'm really flagging and I don't know if, you know, God really hears me and I don't, I don't really know, you know, what this whole prayer thing's about and whether it's actually worth praying to people who are in a good place with their prayer life. And uh, I, my prayer is for all of us is that by the end of this evening, and actually as we do this journey as a church on how to pray, we become reinvigorated, re-inspired by the Holy Spirit to be a praying people. Because I think God wants to unleash a whole lot more kingdom life in us and through us, but he does that through prayer. And so for those of us that get involved and as we travel this journey as a community, I think God's got some really exciting things he wants to do with us, in us and through us as a community and in our community because we are and become increasingly a praying people. So I want to kick off uh, with a story. I love little, uh, not little, I love stories. Uh, Here's a story from 1873. Have a look at this picture. What do you think those things are? Any guesses? Locusts, yes. In June 1873, a strange brown, this wasn't actually taken in 1873, but a strange brown cloud appeared in the sky over Minnesota in the United States. And at first the locals thought it was a dust storm as they looked into the distance and then it became pretty clear that it was a plague of locusts turning uh, uh, Rocky Mountain locusts coming to invade uh, the state as it were. And from 1873 to 1876, so four summers on the trot, millions of Rocky Mountain locusts devoured the crops in Minnesota and made hugely negative inroads on the state economy. There was economic devastation going on. And by 1877, uh, entomologists, who I think are kind of soil people, had found millions of uh, larvae in the soil that were going to hatch that summer and bring uh, total ruin to the economy. But there was a new governor of that state uh, that year, John Pillsbury, 
And he decided to handle the threat of these locusts a bit, little bit differently to the way that they'd been trying up until that point. And he proclaimed April the 26th. This is all true. You can find it in the history books. He proclaimed April the 26th, uh, 1877, as a day of fasting and prayer, asking every man and woman in the state who was willing to go to their local church together as a community on that day uh, or otherwise at home to pray, to ask God to avert this impending disaster. And of course, the 1800s weren't any different to the 20s, uh, the 2000s that we're living in. People mocked. There was a lot of mockery of this plan. The Liberal League of Minneapolis uh, issued a statement saying, we hold that the belief in the power of prayer is palpably untrue and discredits the intelligence of Minnesotans. And uh, therefore, because it was quite a controversial thing and people thought it was a bit weird and wacky, there were reporters from all over the state and from other parts of the states uh, that rocked up to find out what was going on. Nonetheless, on April the 26th, 1877, the streets were silent, sh uh, shops were shut down, and the only thing that could be seen going on that day were men and women uh, taking their children at times to church to pray for God to avert an impending disaster. The following day... The temperatures in Minnesota nosedived. There was an unseasonal snowstorm, and for three days, the cold temperatures killed a whole load of locust eggs. It didn't kill them all, and so a large number of them then went on to hatch in the summer. But then one day, mysteriously in July, before the crops had been eaten, the locusts just disappeared. They flew off and left the state. And for some, well, not for some inexplicable reason, it was, according to the press, it was the best harvest that summer that the Minnesotan state had ever witnessed. How did this colossal insect suddenly die off, one of the newspapers asked. An insect, after all, whose swarms were once so great that they covered an area equal to the landmass of California. The newspaper concluded, it remains a mystery. And, dis and decades of hypotheses since then have produced all kinds of answers. Now, we can't prove the power of prayer because God can't be proved, as it were. He, re he requires faith. But I'm sure we all know of all kinds of stories that demonstrate the power of prayer, both on, a, on an individual level. You know, we'll all have our own stories. We'll know stories of friends, hopefully, you know, because it's good to share our stories, isn't it? But then there are the stories on the bigger scale. And turning to prayer in a crisis or a difficult moment, do you know what? It's a good thing. It's what these Minnesotans did. When we need help, it's nothing new. It's something that many of us do, even uh, if, it's something that, if prayer isn't something we do very regularly. Uh, a survey was done in, uh, eight, I think it was, I don't know, May, June last year because of COVID, and discovered that many more people were praying uh, once a month or whatever because of the crisis. And interestingly, last week, another survey has been done. I don't know if any of you read it. Uh, in the press this week, uh, they surveyed over 2,000 people, uh, of whom uh, 50, over 50% of 18 to 34-year-olds say that they pray once a month. It's amazing, isn't it? Over 50% of 18 to 34-year-olds say that they pray at least once a month. We can all pray, can't we? Just like we can all eat. And it seems that many of us in different cultures pray at different times, probably also to different gods, and often in crises. So for some of us, it's a regular thing, and for some of us, it's an irregular thing. But how we pray is a question that many of us wrestle with. 
You know, whenever I see something, you know, if I get an email on my inbox saying, you know, here's how to pray more effectively, I immediately, you know, my attention is, is grabbed because I, there's something within me that wants to know how to pray more effectively because I know that there's something like effective prayer and I want to be somebody who prays more effectively because I want to see answers to my prayers. So part of the journey that we're going to go on as this church uh, with this book, How to Read, the big read, How to Read, How to Pray, hope we can read because otherwise the book's no use, is to do... <laughs> is to discover and to dig into a bit more how can we pray effectively? How can we pray more effectively? I don't know about you, I find it intriguing that Jesus hung out with his 12 disciples and more of them for three years and they watched him live this incredible life. They watched him do miracles. They watched him walk on water. They watched him raise the dead. They watched him heal people. They watched the impact of his life. They watched a man that didn't need to defend himself when he was being accused. They watched him doing these amazing things. And yet the one question they asked him, as the Gospels uh, record, that they want to learn about is, Lord, teach us how to pray. They don't ask him, teach us how to do miracles. They don't ask him, teach us how to leave a life-changing impact in this world. They don't ask him to teach them how to do other things. They say, Lord, teach us how to pray. So clearly, for them, there was a connection from the way they saw Jesus living and the life that they saw him living and his prayer life. And they wanted to know what that secret was. They wanted to live powerful, meaningful lives. And they worked out, well, the key to that obviously lies in how we pray. Here's another story. In 1949, I've got a little picture here. There's my pin drop. That's the, uh, uh, anybody been up there to the Isle of Hebrides? To the Hebrides? Yeah, one or two. So in 1949, the Isle of Lewis that's the one with the, the pin drop on it in the Hebrides, experienced a massive revival that saw tens of thousands of people come to faith. That's in the last 100 years. It was a remarkable revival demonstrating the mercy and the heart of God. But it wasn't a random revival. It was prayed for. It was a move of God that came in response to the prayers of God's people. Um, before it... Uh, before the revival happened, uh, the Isle of Lewis was a bit like lots of areas in England. Churches were virtually deserted, pews were empty, uh, the pubs were full, and there was not much uh, faith going on. And a number of people on that island began to have a real burden to see God move and to see the churches full again. Uh, a few men who lived in Barvis, which is where that pin drop was, uh, began meeting and began to pray and seek God. You know, Tim was talking about seeking God, and if we seek him, we'll find him. Well, they began to seek God, and they began to ask God for a promise, a kind of covenant promise that they could, they could wrestle with and contend for for that island. And one night, the Holy Spirit reminded them of this promise, that um, re reminded them of the promise in 2 Chronicles 7, that if my people who will humble themselves and cry out to me and call on my name, I will heal their land. And so they committed that evening to keep on praying until God fulfilled his promise. And they met three or four times a week. They prayed to, from about 10 in the evening, often till three in the morning, cold winter nights where there was no central heating. And they prayed and they prayed for God to move in their land. And at the same time, there were two elderly sisters, some of you will know this story, who were 82 and 84. Both of them were invalids. They couldn't leave their house. They couldn't go to church. And they too had a burden to start praying together in their little cottage. 
And they did it twice a week. And again, they kind of would pray from 10 o'clock in the evening till often till two or three in the morning. And they they also got hold of a promise that God had made. And their promise was God saying in Isaiah 44, I will pour out my spirit on the land. I will pour out uh, my blessing on your descendants. And God went on to show them one night while they were praying about a preacher called Duncan Campbell. They got in touch with him and, and sort of God began to move. And it, it sort of his moving uh, ended up uh, by the arrival of this chap, Duncan, coming to preach one night in a church. And there was a sense of anticipation. About uh, 30 people went to, uh, sorry, the church was, uh, was full with a couple of hundred people. They had a church meeting and nothing particularly seemed to happen. So after that meeting, 30 people, they weren't content to go home to bed, 30 people went to a cottage nearby, got on their knees and started crying out to God and saying, God, you've promised to move. Why aren't you moving? And at that moment something really significant happened. God began to move. A dozen of those people fell to the floor prostrate. Uh, they started weeping. They started sobbing. As they left that cottage later after the prayer meeting, they found men and women seeking God in the streets around the church. Uh, people were up in the middle of the night. People were crying in tor torment and conviction, knowing that they needed to make peace with God by the sides of the road. And the second night, Buses were coming from four corners uh, of the island to the church. And uh, seven men, there was one, one butcher's truck that was br bringing seven men on the back of it. And uh, suddenly, as they were being driven to the meeting, the spirit fell on them in this truck. And uh, they started crying out to God to be saved as they came under this tremendous conviction. And uh, there was this incredible move of God on the island. And Duncan Campbell had come for two weeks and ended up staying for two years. And over 20,000 people got saved as literally men and women across the island, not in churches, often sometimes outside, outside. There was an evening where there were so many of them outside the police station that they took Duncan Campbell to go and preach to them because people were just wanting to know, how can I get right with God? It's an incredible, incredible move of God, but it happened because God's people moved, got on their knees and prayed. God wants to remind us that prayer is incredibly powerful. Do you know that? The Bible, Ephesians, talks about prayer after it talks about the sword of the Spirit as being a weapon of God. Many of you know that passage about the armor of God. It's kind of battle language, and prayer is described as being part of the weaponry that we have. It's powerful. It's what the disciples worked out about Jesus. They saw the power in his life, and they connected it to what he did with God in the secret place. So that's what we're doing over these next few weeks. And I want to encourage you to grab a book because although we're going to track with this as, uh, through our preaching on a Sunday, we're not going to deliver the material from the book on a Sunday. So you're going to miss out if you don't grab this book. So grab it, talk about it with friends, ask the people that you meet over coffee or in the feathered fish, how are you doing? What are you learning? You know, how's it helping you? Whatever. And let's do this journey together. So as we kick this series off, uh, this evening, I just want to land with one verse, which Jesus, something Jesus says to his, his friends as they ask him how to pray. He says one thing before he then goes on to teach them the Lord's Prayer. You can find it in Matthew 6. One verse that's going to come up on the screen. Matthew 6, verse 6. And he says this. He, before he gets into the specifics of how to pray, he says this. When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door, 
and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. What's this verse about? Well, in my view, it's about one thing. It's about intentionality. This is Jesus basically saying, when you pray, be intentional. Now, we know that we can talk to God the Father anytime, anywhere, because God is present everywhere. And prayer is really just talking to him like we would talk to a friend, a family member, whoever. It's conversation, really. Dialed down to its most basic, prayer is conversation. So we can talk to him in the shower when we're on one of those swing things, you know, when we're driving to work, when we're at the kitchen sink washing up. We can talk to God anytime, anywhere. But Jesus is saying that's not enough. He's saying we need to be intentional if we're going to have a powerful prayer life. You know, James says the prayer prayer of of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Jesus wants us to have powerful, effective prayer lives, to pray powerfully and effectively. But to do that, we have to be intentional. That's what this verse is about, being intentional. Imagine Jesus sitting at a coffee... I've got a little table here. I didn't have time to put some coffee mugs on here. But for those of you that are visual, you might want to think about it a bit like this. You know, our our sort of um, arrow prayers that we pray, you know, lots of us, oh, Lord, help me find a parking space, or oh, please bless my friend as she's running the marathon or whatever. Those arrow prayers, those prayers that we can pray at any time, at any point, anywhere, they're important and they're good. But there's this invitation to all of us to come and sit at a table with Jesus and talk to him face to face. If all of my communications with my family were via WhatsApp or were by, you know, iMessage and I never sat down with them face to face or I never hung out with them and spent quality time with them, it wouldn't be much of a relationship, would it? No quality relationship just functions on the kind of pinging, you know, messages here and there throughout the day. They're important, but they're not the substance of a real relationship. Oh, Somebody's calling. And, and Jesus, it's like Jesus is sitting at a table, if you like that kind of imagery, where he wants to take you out for a walk, and he's waiting for you and me to accept that invitation and to come and sit down face-to-face for a conversation with him that's uninterrupted by the distractions and the disruptions that come along on a moment-by-moment basis. That's what the shut the door's about, isn't it? Shut the door so it's just me and you. Shut the door so that our conversation isn't interrupted. Shut the door so that you can hear what I'm saying to you. Shut the door so that you can concentrate on what you want to say to me. Shut the door on those distractions. Shut the door on your phone. He invites us to come and talk to him, to come and be with him. You know, the Christian life is a life of relationship with God, isn't it? That's what we're all about relationship with God and conversation and communication is the lifeblood of of relationship and he wants to talk to us about the big things the revival that we want to come and see we want to see in our in our town and in our city and in our nation he wants us to talk to him about that he wants to talk to us about that but he also wants to talk to us about the personal things because actually that's how our relationship grows how are we going to get to know him How are we going to become more secure in his love? How are we going to become more confident in his power and in the gifts that he's given us to to walk in so that we can be effective witnesses in our world? How does all of that stuff grow? Well, it grows most through hanging out with Jesus and through a life of prayer with him. 
a number of years ago, God was talking to me about uh, what the kind of father he wanted to be to me, about what it was like to be the father. He was speaking to me through the story of the prodigal son. And, uh, you know, through my prayer time, my conversation, my sitting and talking to him, he was talking to me about the whole thing of being a father. And so one day I said to him, as you know, we were sitting here chatting. I mean, you know, I said to him, Lord, I really want to know what it's like to have you as a father. And my father has never bought me a gift. And yet, yeah, I see, you know, the kind of father that you are, that you are generous and you want to bless. I believe that you want to bless me as your daughter with a gift. So I asked him to give me a birthday present. My birthday was on the horizon and I asked him to give me a birthday present. And uh, my birthday arrived at sort of two or three weeks later. I had no idea how God was going to answer that prayer. And uh, that evening, as we were just sitting down to supper, somebody knocked at the door who didn't know it was my birthday, but she walked in with something under her arm, and she said, I've just, I've just popped round with this for you, Hills. And uh, she said, I was just about to buy this uh, picture for me because uh, I liked it. And she said, as I got to the till, I just felt the Lord say, I want you to give that to Hills. So bless her, she obeyed him, and she wrapped it up, and she brought it round to my house, and it just happened to be on my birthday. And as I unwrapped it... It was a picture, some of you might have seen it, uh, by Charlie Mackesy. It was a picture of the prodigal father hugging his child. God gave me a birthday present. And it was the fruit of just a conversation, an intimate conversation with the door shut, getting to know him as my father and him getting to reveal himself to me. He's inviting us into an intentional prayer relationship with him not just a random one when we've got time he wants us to know him as creator as father as a friend Jesus says I've called you my friends and the friendship develops and grows as we sit together and as we talk together and as we hang out together and the extent to which we grow in that love depends on how intentional we are Susanna Wesley. Some of you will have heard of, many of you will have heard of John and Charles Wesley. Susanna Wesley, she was married to a penniless preacher. She had 19 children. Poor woman. I had four. That was bad enough. Not having the children, but the process of giving birth to them. She had 19. And nine of them died in childbirth or in infancy. What a tragedy. But she had, she had 10 children that she raised. She was married to a penniless preacher, as I said, so they had no money, pretty desperate life. Uh, she was pretty ill most of her life. Uh, her husband got into, although he was a preacher, I hope this isn't true of our preachers, got into terrible money trouble, went to prison at some point for being in debt. And so she was basically left to raise her children on her own. So she worked the gardens, she milked the cows, she did everything. Uh, she did everything, but she was committed to having this relationship with her God, this time with her God, this intentional, you know, the, creating that intentional opportunity on a daily basis to pray, to talk with her God and to listen to him. And because she struggled to find a secret place to get away with him, because she had all these kids in her house that she homeschooled, and I think they lived in quite a small house, she told her children this. She said, when I've got the apron, she used to wear a big apron, when I've got my apron over my head... You may not disturb me because I'm talking to God. I'm praying. That's my time with God, so don't disturb me. So that's what she would do. That was her way of finding a private place and shutting the door. She shut the door with her, her, with her apron, and it became her prayer space. And uh, she remained intentional, and she remained persistent about this throughout her life. And she's another example of the, power of, the, of the world-changing power of prayer. Because two of her sons led 
uh, spoke to and led millions of people to Christ. You know, one of her sons wrote over thousands of hymns, some of which we're still doing today, and one of her sons birthed the Methodist movement that is home to, I don't know, millions of people today. One woman finding her secret place, putting her apron over her head, accepting the invitation to sit with her God and talk to him and listen to him and to be persistent and intentional in her prayer. That's the invitation that's on offer to us, friends. A powerful prayer life is a consistent prayer life. It's an intentional prayer life. Corrie ten Boom said this, Don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man or a woman is powerful on his or her knees. And I, we all know, don't we? I mean, why is The Ruthless of Elimination of Hurry, you know, such a big selling book at the moment? We know that life is busy. We know that there's a huge amount of pressure on us and demands on our time, you know, whether that's work, whether that's, you know, commitments, whether it's family, whatever. We've all got lots to do. And it's so easy to say, but I haven't got time, you know, which is why I need to pray on the hoof. It's why I need to sort of communicate with God, you know, via arrow prayers. And I'm not saying that that's not good. They're the extras. We've got busy lives. We've got demands on our time. We've got commitments to keep. But do you know what, friends? Let's be honest about the fact that we make time for the things that we want to make time for. We always have enough time to do the things that we really want to do. So in the end, let's allow God to gently challenge us about how much we really want to explore this incredible gift, opportunity, weapon of prayer that he gives to us. Because we can make time for the things that we believe are important. You know, for me, uh, you know, sometimes it's in my life, it's been mornings when I had small children, I could never wake up in the mornings and I was grumpy and miserable. So, you know, I, my time changed to when they were asleep in the middle of the day. You know, I could have done all kinds of things with that time. But in the end, I kind of siphoned off some of it for God because there was going to be no other time that I could sit at my table and talk to him. You know, for some people, it's going for a walk first thing in the morning or a walk first thing at night. But where can you go to shut the door? Where can you go? Where is that space? Where is that place? Where is that time of day where you can shut the door and, and find your kind of quality time for Jesus, for God, for friendship with him, to be open and available and to give the creator, your creator, your attention so that you can grow closer to him, so that you can get to know him better and so that you can live the powerful life that he's invited you into. Do you have a regular appointment with the Lord? Because friends, reading this book might be interesting and it might be helpful and it might be challenging, but actually in the end, it's not going to make much difference if we don't wrestle with this thing to begin with. Where's my place? Where's, when's my time? How do I shut the door and create this space for conversation with God? You might prefer a place in your home. You might have a, you know, wherever. But I really want to encourage us to be intentional this week about reviewing, you know, where is that shut the door place? And I just want to say, you know, as we kind of draw to a close, really, let's be mindful about the fact that the enemy doesn't want us to pray. The enemy doesn't want you to pray and the enemy doesn't want me to pray, which is why so many of us struggle either to pray or to find time to pray. 
or to get praying once we have made time. Have you noticed how often the phone goes off? That's why it's so good not to have your phone with you when, you know, in this space. We get distracted. We get interrupted because the enemy doesn't want us to pray. It's why the Liberal League mocked General Pillsbury's plan to hold a day of prayer. It's why the press was so cynical. Because prayer is powerful. The enemy knows that. It's our lifeline to God. It's how he pours himself and his power into our lives. It's our route to growing deeper. It's our route to becoming more effective. It's our route to knowing more of his love and walking in it. And it's actually our route to driving back the powers of darkness in this world. No matter what else we're doing, no matter how gifted we are, no matter what our calling is, you know, we will never drive back the powers of darkness if we're not praying as a church, as God's people. And the enemy knows this. So he wants to make sure we don't pray. So remember that this week. You know, when you're finding it hard or you've, you know, missed your moment again or whatever. Don't be discouraged. Just get up and think, well, I'm going to go again. And get people to, alongside you, asking you, how's it going? You know, cheering you on, holding you accountable. Because the enemy doesn't want us praying, which is a really good reason in my book why we need to push into it even more. Here are a few other things Jesus said to close. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Matthew 7 verse 7. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer, even if that's a revival in the Hebrides. Matthew 21, 22. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. That's in Mark 11. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's John 13. In that day, John 16, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. And 1 John 5, 14 says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. Confidence in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, I've got my own questions about prayers that aren't answered. I'm sure you have too. And actually, as we go through this book and dig into some of the stuff in there, we're going to end up wrestling with some of that stuff too. But these are Jesus' promises. And they're not full of a load of caveats. There might be some conditions attached to them. But why do you think he says all of these things? Because he wants to encourage us to pray. He wants us to, to encourage us to make the most of this invitation, of this opportunity, of this gift. No matter how many questions that we've got, let's really go for it, friends, over these coming weeks. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to reinvigorate our prayer lives, if that's what we need. If we need a fresh wind on our times with God, let's invite him to do that. If we need fresh inspiration to get praying again, you know, let's invite him to do that as we, as we do this together and as we read the book. If we need fresh encouragement, well, he's going to encourage us. He wants us to be a praying people. Because when we get on our knees and we depend on him and we cry out to him, to him as if, you know, we can't manage whatever it is that we're wanting to see happen, but he can, that's when he really moves. And we all want to see him move, don't we? Don't we? It's not a trick question. <laughs> we want to see him move, don't we? Yes? Yes. So why don't we stand? So for those of you that 
for joining us for the first time this evening. We just like to end our times together in a slightly sort of, I don't know whether it's a messy way, it's a, a gentle way, maybe different things going on. There's, I think there's going to be a bit of coffee at the back at some point. I saw some biscuits moving around earlier. I hope there's something to go with them. Yes, good. And uh, there's the feathered fish to go to later, friends to catch up with, new friends to make, books to buy, thank you. <laughs> but we're just going to close our eyes and, in, and uh, just go, give God um, an opportunity to seal in our hearts what he wants to seal in our hearts from this evening and to do whatever it is he wants to do in these remaining moments. So why don't you close your eyes? Just fix those eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart on him. And Jesus, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for your presence here with us. We want to say thank you, Jesus, that in dying for us on the cross, you ripped that veil in two. You tore that veil in two. And through the offer of forgiveness for our sins, the stuff that separated us has kept us, kept us separate from you. You have invited us into your presence, into relationship with you, into this kingdom life. And into that daily invitation to hang out with you. Creator of the universe, we thank you, Lord, that that's your heart. To reveal more of who you are to us to pour more of your life into us and to lead us into those kingdom assignments that you've prepared for us. And to fill us with your love. So Holy Spirit, in these moments, would you come and do that again? Would you come and fill us just in this moment now? Come and fill us.
friendship. Jesus calls you his friend. Thank you. 